Hi, I'm, um, what's my name again? I have to say happy birthday to remember my name. I'm uh, Rob Vanstone. Uh, welcome to the 46th edition of the Leader Post Rider Rumblings podcast. Uh, as mentioned every week, I now have the, num- the the volume number committed to memory because I've associated it with a uniform number of a past or present rough rider. So number 46, today we honor riders long snapper Jorgen Hughes. And uh, going back a little bit, former rider center Len Ortman, 1946 to 1952. Who else is? Tony wow. Plater is our guest today. Uh, once again, Tony, thank you. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, what other 46s? There's Katwana Jones. Yes. He was 46. That's the one that I would re- remember the most from uh, my days with the Rough Riders. Troy Alexander, I think. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You set up an interview with me with, with between me and Troy Alexander. And I remember you saying, he's a wonderful guy. And he was a wonderful guy. So, to Troy Alexander, number 46, thank you. I forgot about him. He was a, he was a quite a player. He, yeah. Uh, he had some great size. He was one of our best draft picks. It wasn't a huge list of ones that <laughs> out back then, but he was on it. Um... We're discussing sundry matters pertaining to the Rough Riders, the CFL, today. Um, we I put out a call on Twitter to my six followers asking for questions, and, and four of them came through. So, I'm, what, I'm, what did your mom send us? <laughs> my mom's not computer literate, unfortunately, and her son's not literate. Period. Um, so, I've got a few questions we're gonna we're going to address. Um, as we were talking, leading up to the. Uh, actual recording of the podcast, we were reminiscing about riders of yesteryears and plays of yesteryear. And for some reason, we started talking about that uh, infamous September day in 1982 when the Rough Riders played the other Rough Riders. And uh, the most memorable play was a screen pass from Chris Isaac to clunky fullback Jim Reed, who scored from 65 yards out down the left sideline. And it was just like, step, step, step. And he went untouched. The, the ice in my drink melted before he got to the end zone. It was a, you know, the play was in slow motion. Like how did, is it, that play just symbolized 11 years out of the playoffs, that one demonstration of absolute futility. I don't know, I don't know why we got on that topic, but we remember it vividly. It's almost 37 years ago. Oh, we were talking about disaster management. <laughs> and, and that was a play was a disaster. Uh, it was one of those ones where you're sitting in the in the stands going, what is going on? Yeah. Why, why is there nobody on that side of the field? And why is nobody chasing the slowest guy in the CFL history? Uh, how did that happen? It just, and, and he was like at least 10 yards away from anybody even making contact yeah. with him. He brought new meaning to the word rumbling, stumbling and bumbling and rumbling <laughs> down the field. <laughs> oh, rider rumblings. So <laughs> yeah. I guess that's an appropriate title. Um, the other one we were talking about was when the, the Bombers were here in the 70s and the, the, the handoff uh, deep in their end to Richard Crump and he went uh, through the center and there was nobody was and just gone. Hundred, like it was hundred. I think it was 103 yards yeah. in 1978. And it was one of those games the Riders were in. Um, I think it was the Labor Day game. It was a Labor Day game because they played Winnipeg twice at home that year. The second one was Ron Lancaster's last game and that, was not, that did not... Our last game at Taylor Field, that was a... A sad day. Neutralized. They're completely turned around a week later when the Riders won in Edmonton in Ronnie's last game ever. But Winnipeg was here for, for Labor Day and Richard Crump, hundred and I'm pretty sure it was 103 yards. Yeah, he, uh, and nobody mm-hmm. touched him. It was just gone. He was one of those players that uh, he could flip the field really quickly. The Bombers had some really good teams back then. They, uh, they were, they were a, a rough and tumble team. A lot well. of teams that were good, but they weren't as good as Edmonton. 
No, you you're know, right. um, and then they had some teams that were good, but sort were sort of at the same time that let's say Calgary was good in the late seventies, mm-hmm. and uh, when Jack Goda was there, you know, Dieter Brock was quarterbacking, and they had Richard Crump, uh, depending upon whatever you wanted to call him, Jim Washington or Jay yeah. Washington. I yeah. never. I was never clear whether it was Jim or Jay. He went by. He went by both. I, I've got an old football card set that's got uh, one. One year it's Jim. One year it's Jay. Is that right? Yeah. He just died not so long it, it ago. It depends uh, if he was getting a ticket or not. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other guy. That's Jay. <laughs> yeah. It's my brother. Uh, they had uh, well, starting in the late seventies, Joe Poplowski, Rick yeah. House. Yeah, they had some it's good, really receivers. good teams. Yeah. And uh, Mike Holmes, but they had the misfortune of getting good when Edmonton was getting great. Yeah, and you know, Ed, that Edmonton defensive line just dominated. Oh. Yeah, I, you know, he used to, as you know, coach with us, Ron Este, but to watch him play, when you go back and watch those games, that guy had a motor that just wouldn't quit. Yeah. What a competitor. And you know, he's got uh, he's got so many championship rings. I think it's around 10, one for each finger. Did you not do a story about his championship rings at one time? I think we did. We did one on Cal Murphy too. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do one on your championship ring yeah. as well. It's very, it's very nice. Yes. Uh, uh, Roy Shivers made sure that in my contract, I put uh, ring same as the players because there's an administrative ring that was a little bit smaller and then a ring same as the players. So Roy took care of me. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's that ring would be no different than the than the uh, Kerry Joseph ring. That's right. It, uh, it might, well, my fingers are a little smaller, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it would be the same as what the players received. So, so I, I will be ever in, in, in Roy's, uh, uh, you know, indebted to Roy for, for that. The, for a Saskatchewan kid to win a championship ring with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is, is memorable. And so you're here bedecked in this very snazzy suit with a championship ring, and I'm wearing a Winnipeg Jets jersey. And, um, well, they won some AFCO Cups. Three? <laughs> I Don't discredit. The the, the, here's one for you. The Winnipeg Jets never lost. We were perfect against Wayne Gretzky with a championship at stake. 1979. Is People talk about Gretzky and the Oilers dynasty, mm-hmm. but it was the, the Winnipeg Jets who beat Gretzky in 1979 for the final AFCO Cup. And I think that, that, that right? should was be respected. The, the Oilers or the Racers? He was with the Oilers. He got uh, kind of traded or sold or oh, whatever yes. early in the year. So yeah. so there, that's the Jets' claim to fame is that they beat Gretzky in the championship final. I grew up in Winnipeg. And uh, so... Uh, watching Richard Crump? With, <laughs> watching the Winnipeg Jets in, in the WHA. So it, it was great going to Winnipeg Stadium and watching Nielsen, Soberg, uh, Jim Daly and Nat. They had some really good teams. There were some... Uh, that was good hockey. I, I really enjoyed it. I wish I'd seen them. My Jets awakening came in, in February of 1980 when I went to Winnipeg on Dash Tours to see a, my first Jets game. And they uh, they got a hat trick. They scored three goals against the Leafs. And they allowed nine. Not the best night for Marcus Matson in goal. So Yuri Sirha was in goal for the Leafs. <laughs> Daryl Sittler had five points. Uh, Lyle Moffat, Chris Maneri, and Ron Wilson were the Jets' goal scorers. Wow. And uh, here we are. Anyway, I'm paying tribute to the Jets. They beat St. Louis last the well last night as of our recording date, and I'm in a uh, uplifted mood as a result of that. Ellibuck's got to do something with that blocker. Oh. Goodness, that uh, seems to be a weakness for him right now, and they seem to be, uh, you know, focusing on it and picking on him a little bit with it. Although last night the shot that initially looked like he'd blown it again uh, with for, to the blocker side, it looks it uh, Dustin Bufflin actually sort of deflected the puck, so it kind of tricked the goaltender. But still, 
they won. I'm pleased. Yeah, Nervous they, about Tuesday already. They uh, they have a very solid team, and then when they're when they're playing well, you know they're almost unbeatable. We saw that during the regular season. They uh, they gelled well as a squad, and I think that uh, you know they have an opportunity to come back and still win this series. They do. I mean, they they win on Tuesday, and they've got home ice back. Not necessarily. I'm not even sure that's a good thing. The home the visiting teams won the first three games of the series, but. Um, well, uh, when do you make the uh, the bold move and put the other goalie in? Because he had an outstanding year as the backup. He, you know, he really sparkled when he was in there, and he. I, I think that was part of their success. I'm a Canadians fan, and I felt that the the Habs would have made the playoffs had they had stronger backup goaltending. Because when you put Niemi in, you know, people were shooting uh, balloons and going by him, uh, but. The Jets' backup goalie really made a difference. He did. I mean, and, and generally the backup goalie is going to play the weaker opponents, but his, his save percentage, I think, was in the vicinity of 92. And uh, we're talking about Laurent Brassois. But uh, uh, the fact that they they won, it, it had, had the Jets lost game three in ugly fashion with some more mannequin-like goaltending, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there, had, if there would have been a change. But they've won. Halibut played reasonably well wasn't tested a lot only 13 times through two periods so anyway well i guess that's the way to stop them hey don't let them shoot don't let them shoot <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, my bosses may shoot me if i don't talk about football oh so there we go yes. talk about football? Oh, i guess rider rumblings we should talk rider about football well, right we're uh par- i apologize for that tangent but go jets um let's see here we got some questions um beefless said number one how dare you Hmm. Okay. Thank you for thank you to Beefless for that. Um, from my, from somebody named my thoughts, my opinions. Um, during dur- saying Duran Carter has been ranting on Twitter. Uh, what's up with that? And what's up with next season? Uh, Duran Carter is always entertaining on Twitter, and uh, uh, he's been getting into some jousts with fans lately. And he's also been discussing the uh, collective bargaining agreement. And uh, I think I think uh, the other days he referred to football uh, the 2019 season if there is one um are you concerned that there may be a delay or a preemption of you know the I, CFL? I, I, we're such a gate-driven league for the owners not to be able to collect uh on uh, on home games early in the season uh that that doesn't benefit anybody uh so i think there's a happy medium there uh what I found when I was... I wish this was a medium. Sorry, go on. <laughs> I don't because it had been really tight. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do the flexing later on. Uh, the, uh, the, the players, uh, there's got to be a happy medium. You know, the league is, is very veteran-based, and I, I think that uh, the, the guaranteed contracts after certain times, after Labor Day for a certain amount of years... I think those are important to make sure that the veterans are protected so that teams can't salary dump late in the year and then bring in young guys. Uh, I, I believe you have to bring in young guys for attrition, but not at the uh, the expense of uh, veteran guys who've uh, put their, their careers on the line and have really shown a, a commitment to the community. And so I, I believe the veteran players need to be protected. I, I can't... I... I could see something unprecedented happening. Not, not necessarily unprecedented because there was a brief uh, walkout in training camp in 1974 when George Reed was with the CFLPA. But I could see the, the players 
getting closer to, I guess, a degree of brinksmanship than was the case last time when the when the uh, players' union pretty much capitulated and accepted a you know, paltry improvement in, in the contract. But it, training camps begin uh, May nineteenth. I think the first preseason game is May thirty first. Um, suddenly, uh, you know, if the players were to threaten not to play in a preseason game. I think that's 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 a degree of leverage that they they would possess. You're not paid lucratively for playing in a preseason game, but there are gate revenues to be garnered by the teams. Suddenly, if you at least play the play the preseason card, maybe you get things rolling, and maybe you get a deal that's a little bit more beneficial than the one that was negotiated in 2014. I'm not sure how many preseason tickets are sold. Individual the, game tickets. Yeah, they're generally part of the package. They're, right? they're part of the season ticket package or they're, they're uh, one of those, uh, hey, let's help a charity out and give them some game tickets so they can come and enjoy the game or the volunteers or, or people that have done some things for the community. So that's not really a, a pocketbook thing. Uh, from a ticket standpoint, where, where the, the, the initial hit would be would be uh, in the concessions, the beer, where that's where uh, the revenue would that the teams generate. That Even sponsorships would factor into that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, your game sponsor wouldn't be getting a game. I can see the players uh, going away from that first preseason game and just having one preseason game getting ready for the, uh, because that first preseason game anyway, it's mostly rookies. It's yeah. Not veterans. The veterans might play a quarter. Yeah. Right? If, uh, yeah. Or four, four plays, well, one series and then they're out, you know, nobody wants to get hurt before the season. So it, that the key I think is, would be the second preseason game. But, you know, I can't, I Maybe maybe they'll resume negotiations at the end of the month and it will proceed amicably and smoothly and there'll be a, a deal by training camp. But I, I think it's a little naive to think that that is going to happen so so quickly. Uh, so if, if, if some players have made noises about, I'm not going to report to training camp unless there's a CBA. I And I think there's some players who have enough, but, you know, veterans who've been making six figures for a number of years probably have enough accumulated wealth to withstand that and they probably don't enjoy training camp very much anyway they've been through enough of them um but if you're looking at a lot of the players who've been in the league for a year or two they're probably still making 55 60 mm-hmm. and uh they probably just want to get rolling with things are there enough would there be enough players and enough unity within the ranks of the players association to stage a massive refusal to report to training camp that would be impactful that that's a that's a really good question uh you know the the other factor that I think is uh, is important to look at is that there seemed to be a, a split in the players' union when they were talking about how many imports and how many non-imports are going to be on the roster now mm-hmm. and where does that Canadian quarterback fit in. And, and so there seemed to be a, a split... Uh, the American players saying, well, we don't need as many Canadians. And the Canadians going, hey, we, you need, we're the Canadian Football League. We need more Canadians in the league or at least seven starters. And, and so there seemed to be a split within the union. So whoever started that has caused that split. And it, are, are they going to be able to get back together to, to make a educated decision on, yes, we like this contract or no, we don't like this contract? And it's... This thing's weighted in favor of the of the of the the teams, and I suppose a lot of these situations are he who he who owns the gold has the power mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. But in the case of the CFL, they've got to keep nine governors in or nine team representatives in check, and nobody's mm-hmm. going to say anything. Who knows who's speaking on behalf of Montreal these days, anyway? <laughs> so it's eight. Um, but if you look at the players, you're talking 
nine teams, 45, 50 players. You're talking close to 500, if not more people, all of whom are active on, or most of whom are active on social media. Um, and I think it's more, it's tougher to keep that many people with different interests, different uh, incomes, mm -hmm. different, uh, some are Canadians, some are Americans, some are making Mike Rowley money, some are making for a season what Mike Rowley makes in a week yeah, uh, or for a game. Uh, so, or thereabouts. So how do you keep an association with so many disparate uh, individuals in and, terms of in terms of just their 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 background in check and from a salary standpoint you have two factors one they're not paying any of those roster bonuses from february 1st to yeah. training camp or anybody that uh, you know report and pass bonus so you go to training camp you you pass your physical you get your bonus. Those aren't being paid out if they miss training camp or don't start training camp. So people are, are banking on those funds as part of their salary because it's at a different tax bracket. So they kind of get a little bit more because if you're an American player and you're making even 70000 a year and you're taking that home, well, you're... It, now it's 50 Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 50 cents on the dollar. Yeah. And and it's... Uh, and, and there hasn't... there. It's not like they're paid 50 you know... Uh, 12 months of the year either. So yeah. a lot of them haven't had a paycheck since November. And um, I think the game's changed a bit too. Luke Mullinder was was talking about this with Mitchell Blair on CKRM the other day about how a lot of the players, they dedicate their off season now to training. It's not, a, they, it's, it's, it's a, it's, they don't get paid year round, but they have to keep themselves in shape year round. The, the days of going to training camp and wearing off those 10 pounds you gained during the off season are gone. So, I think there's a there's a lot of players who are just okay. They want to start seeing some paychecks again. The Mike Rileys of the world and the Bo Levi Mitchells, even you know, you know the players making six figures and there's a reasonable amount of them in the CFL. Now they'll they'll be okay, but it's it's I think that's a larger larger portion of the union yeah, that, that isn't making that kind of money and the, it hasn't gotten that just needs to start getting paid again the the veteran players that are in that middle bracket i think are the key to uh, the the contract negotiations okay i think ultimately this will get done the, the players are and done without too much disruption of any the players association is talking about how they're more unified than ever but what else are they going to say yeah. they have to say that we'll see once uh once uh, may 19th gets here and once the cba expires i uh, there may be some some rancor leading up to it, but I think it's. I don't think we're going to see any games sacrificed. But I think I think the union can can be a little more assertive than it was last time. Uh, that wouldn't really take much. Yeah, they uh, they all. I hate to say the word caved, but they they really weren't aggressive in their negotiations. It's like, what are you going to give us? Okay, we'll take it. Yeah, and, and I, I think that you know they're the ones that are. Uh, the entertainment value. People don't come to see the the governors. They don't come to see the coaches, uh, and they all play an important part in the, in the CFL. But they come to see the players. And the average player career is three years, four years at most, depending on the on the player. And they're they're every play. There's a chance that their career is going to be done just because it's such a collision sport. And now with the concussion protocol. You know, you're one hit away from, from not playing or not being allowed to play. Uh, so I think that, you know, as a fan, we want to see the players. And we want to see the best players available. And I think there, there needs to be that Canadian content. 
Uh, I think that's important. I believe the Canadian Football League is our rules and, and our field, but also the, the that Canadian content uh, plays a role in that uh, so that the kids that are playing minor football, they have a chance to see, hey, I can play in the CFL or even now I can play in the NFL like Brent Jones. The um, the thing that's, that's interesting too here is it's a different – I think there's a different perception of the athletes than there would be, let's say, when if baseball, when baseball goes on strike or is locked out, people look at the, the ball players and talk about these millionaire athletes. Mm-hmm. And, and they talk about the billionaire owners too, but uh, it's it's a lot harder for the fans to relate to a baseball player or an NFL player or an NHL player. Um, but if you look at the, I think the CFL players have a chance to be per- portrayed and perceived a lot more sympathetically by the average fan who can look at it and this average fan might be making more than the players, mm-hmm. his favorite, his or her favorite player. Well, and uh, that's so. It's to, it is, the league has to be careful because they could the optics could be very poor for from, for the league if the players end up uh, being perceived as being treated unfairly. I, I agree. I think that it, you know, of all sports, uh, the fan can relate closer to the CFL player. Uh, the CFL players are almost more welcoming. And, and uh, open to, hey, yes, here's an autograph, or hey, come get your picture taken with me, those type of things. I think there's, there's a, no a closeness. That they, exactly. They're, they're not hiding behind anything. You know, there's players in Major League Baseball that play one game, and they're making more than the average uh, person in the city in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. So, I mean, growing up with me, it was Ronnie and George. I mean, they were as big and still are as any athlete who's ever played any sport. But by the time I was eight years old, I'd met both of them, and it wasn't very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're if you're a fan of you know pick a hot pick a high profile NHL player, it's if you're going to meet that player, it's going to take a lot of connections mm-hmm. or a, a lot of money. It's it's not very easy to do. You could be a, a massive fan of say Ovechkin, you might never have the chance of meeting him if you're. If you're a Darian Durant fan, all you have to do is go to practice and he'd sign, he'd sign the jersey for yeah. you and chat with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you shake know? your hand and you know wave at you if he saw you again because he remembered you. Uh, that, that's why I worship Joey Walters because he was nice to me as, a, as, as someone who just enjoyed watching him play. And well, then I realized your, he's such a tremendous person. That's your one friend. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering who that was. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's been tough without the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Let's check Twitter and see if anybody else, if my, Eddie, if my, if my one friend or my six followers have given us anything else here. Um, pardon the interruption. This isn't of the caliber of pardon the interruption, unfortunately. Thoughts on international draft picks from JB Cromwell. Uh, why? What's the point of this? Like, I think it just adds a new flavor, something new to talk about. Uh, there's only a couple of rounds in the in the draft. Uh, everybody gets one player. It uh, it it gives uh, from a media standpoint. It gives you something new to write about. Uh, hey, here's this new player. How does he stack up against uh, a, a young uh, Canadian kid coming out of out of university? Uh, you know, is he the same as Rob Bag was when he came out of uh, Queens, where there's some development there? You know, I, I think that uh, depending on what they do with that Canadian quarterback rule, too, we'll see that type of thing too. Like I wonder, you know, the Riders, for example, picked Max Zimmerman, a receiver from Germany in, in the European draft last Thursday. Okay, he'll probably end up at training camp, but is anybody ever going to see Max Zimmerman actually play football? Uh, 
That's that's really tough to, you know, to say. You know, what do you they still don't know what they're going to do with these they they've had a Mexican draft and a European draft and um what's the plan here? Uh, you know, that that's the that's the interesting point is that I don't think that plan has ever been clearly rolled out to the fans. If there is a plan because you know you you hear the comments you're more worried about the uh, the the european draft than you are in in closing out the, uh, the the contract with the players you know what what should be your priority what's more important and you know in a sense because we we don't see the big picture it's re- we fill that that gap with our own thoughts i i think the cfl needs to come out and say here's why we're doing this thank you and this and, and you know, we we have a strategy. What's that strategy, and and how it's going to benefit the league as a whole? They've talked about growing the game and growing revenues and giving you know Canadian university players, for example, somewhere to play after their CIS days. Or pardon me, U Sports days. But as far as how these players are going to be fused into the roster, or how they're going to work a training camp, like there's still no plan. We don't even know how many Canadians are going to be playing this year. So I, I don't know that those those CFL or the CIS players or U sport players didn't have that option anyway yeah. because there there's there's Canadian coaches and and American coaches that are overseas and uh, Ken Miller went yeah, over there. Yeah. So he knows that hey, I, I need somebody to come over once to continue playing football. He's got a pipeline through uh through just his CFL contacts with the Canadian University. So I don't know that that's the that's a strong connection. I think that connection's always going to be there. From um Oh, for Mitchell Blair. Oh, here we go. Um, very relevant questions. Can the Jets even their best of seven series with St. Louis after last night's win? Yes. Why did the Denver Nuggets play so bad in game one at home against uh, San Antonio? Because they couldn't make a three-pointer. They, they were they made six six for 32 or something with three-point range. When's the last time you had a pizza from Fired Up Grill? I had the grilled salmon last week. And whatever happened to Jerry Morrow, as in Champagne Jerry Morrow champagne Jerry of Stampede Morrow. Wrestling fame. Now yeah. we're rolling. That's uh, You know, I, I have a question. Why have you not written a Stampede Wrestling book? With your knowledge, your your relationship with Bob uh, Bob Leonard when he was alive, you you must have some great stories. Oh, there, there was a Stampede Wrestling book done. Mm-hmm. Um, by I think by somebody named McCoy? Heath, Heath McCoy, yeah. I think. Is, it was really good. Yes, and uh, I'm just checking to make sure that I have not misidentified the. Uh, I just put Stampede Restong. That's <laughs> not, I don't even know what that's going to get. Stampede Wrestling. I think it was Heath McCoy. It was it was a yeah. tremendous book, and uh, I think he did one on the Dynamite Kid as well. And that was such a raw yeah. book. That, oh, what yes. a life he had. Yeah, I, and uh, you know the, the, that uh, being a, a pro wrestler and a pro football player. I have a lot of similarities where, you know, you're there and the fans love you. But once you're done, you know, the injuries as you get older mount up on you. Dynamite Kid was in a wheelchair till he passed away. You see people. Uh, so many wrestlers are dying. Dying of strokes and heart issues uh, at, at early ages. You know, they the, both those uh, professions put their bodies on the line for the entertainment of the fans. And uh, after they're they're done, there's... Where are those supports? Yeah, there aren't, and uh, oh. the CFLPA and the wrestling wrestlers are somewhat in the same boat as, mm-hmm. as much of a stretch as that may seem. Once mm-hmm. you're finished, you, you could be in trouble. And uh, 
There's been a few wrestlers over the years that have played in the CFL. Remember when George Wells was with the mm-hmm. Riders? He was a yeah. wrestler. Uh, the Rock, of course, Dwayne Johnson tried out for the Stampeders in the 90s and he, is forever indebted to Wally Bono for cutting him. Yeah, Bo- hey, Bobby Vespasiani was his position coach. No way. Yeah, yeah. there was a great story about how he uh, he found a mattress on the side of the road and that's what he used because he was staying in a, a room with three other of the uh, practice roster players. Wow. That's a glamorous life for the <laughs> yeah. CFL. Um, Tito Santana mm-hmm. was once upon a time a tight end for the BC Lions. His name was Mercedes Solis, and his first CFL game was against the Rough Riders in the 1976 season opener. Uh, Lex Luger was with Montreal. Was he? Yeah. What was his name? I don't know. That's I, did, I just game. remember seeing that, uh, reading it uh, in his bio that he had played with the Montreal uh, Alouette. I think Gene Kaniski played for the Edmonton Eskimos mm-hmm. once upon a time. Uh, so, anyway. And Ron Simmons was with the Ottawa Rough That's Riders. right. Yeah. That's right. He was a defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. So I think he played, would have played the same uh, era as Greg Marshall. So, once we've branched off into wrestling, is there any point in continuing? I, have we I lost everybody the, or are we the, done? The, that's the high point. <laughs> <laughs> Who was your favorite wrestler stampede-wise growing uh, up? Dr. D. David Schultz. Oh, could he, could he work the oh, mic? Oh, he was awesome. Him and the Honky Tonk Man were two of my favorites. I was always a Dan Crawford guy. Remember Dynamite <laughs> yeah, Dan Crawford? Yeah. I loved Dan Crawford. He used to team with Ron Ritchie. <laughs> Did, Rotten Ron? No, no, Rotten Ron Star. Oh, Rotten Ron Star, yeah. Uh, no, he Ron Ritchie was the uh, was one of the uh, good guys, well, I the remember, mid-card good guys. I remember when Dan Crawford and Buffalo Bill Cody owned the North American <laughs> Tag Team Championship. And I always laugh when they call it the North American Tag Team Championship because it's North America except for every state in the United States and, <laughs> and nine provinces. <laughs> Uh, Dan Crawford was was well, I mentioned Ronnie and George earlier. You know, growing, when I look at the 1970s, there's Ronnie, Ronnie, George, Joey Walters, and Dan Crawford as my athletic heroes. Uh, Duke and Myers, Duke Myers with the glove on. Yeah, his, always putting something in the glove. And Canada's greatest athlete, Mike Sharp. My Iron Mike Sharp. <laughs> Nobody could grunt like Iron no. Mike Sharp. No, the whole match he'd be going. <laughs> Loved Iron Mike. So. Uh, and yeah, the athletic Kerry Brown. Kerry Brown. Because Kerry Brown and Duke Myers were a formidable yeah. tag team back yeah, in the days. So. They were. Um, anything else you'd like to add about wrestling or football or <laughs> your suit or your ring or anything? Uh, no, I, you know what? Uh, it's always a pleasure chatting sports with you. You're a, a wealth of knowledge. Well, we... Uh, other than, you know, the, the hockey teams you choose. But you do have a nice jersey on because that's the throwback jersey to the WHA, I believe. Is it not? Uh, it's, 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 a, it's their second NHL jersey. Oh, okay. They used to have the one with the, with the hockey... Well, they do have the hockey stick. But it was a different... It was a different... This is sort of a stylized version of their first NHL jersey. Okay. So uh, this is, I'm actually quite kind of happy because this I had this jersey during Jets 1.0 and it still fits, <laughs> and there isn't a lot of my wardrobe that meets that description. So, um, Tony, I thank you once again for your reminiscences, some of which actually pertain to the Rough Riders. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, I have to. Read. You, you can change this old uh, wrestling ramblings if you want. We, we should, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, there was one day when you were Tony. Tony used to be the the in communication for the Rough Riders you have to herd the media around and there was one day we were watching practice and you and I and I think Mitchell Blair were ta- telling old Stampede wrestling stories and we were we were laughing so hard that Danny Barrett asked us to keep it down remember that? <laughs> yes we were disrupting practice <laughs> talking about Abdullah the Butcher so I'm proud of that um, I have to read this so I will please read us on 
I always screw this up. Tony, bail us out. Save the program, please. Please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. It helps us grow the podcast. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob at rvanstone at postmedia.com. That's rvanstone at postmedia.com. And we'll read it on the show. Outstanding. Flawless, unlike my attempt at that one. Tony, thanks again. Um, uh, For Tony Plater, I'm Rob Vanstone, and we will do this again uh, next week for number 47. Maurice Lloyd. Take care. Ron Getz. (laughs) 